And as I welcome you back, I would love to have you take your Bibles, if you have one handy, and turn with me, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we come to our, our third sermon from this chapter, that as we have noted, a resurrection chapter full of the gospel. We have spent the last number of months, started last fall, working our way through 1 Corinthians. We, we love to spend time in God's word. It is our life and our breath, and it points us to Christ, and so we do that with great regularity. And we come toward the end of this study. Two weeks away from now, from July 1st, we will begin a 10-week study through the Ten Commandments, not only the basics of what they say, but touching on issues of how you read and understand the Bible, how a believer today interacts with Old Testament texts, and uh, how, that, how we go about that. You know, what's for today? Oh, my goodness sakes. Brace yourself. Um, I, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to the summer. I've been doing a bit of study already and eager to go there with you. But today, then, 1 Corinthians 15, as you see, uh, verse 35 down through, through verse 58, that big section. Um, as normal on your study sheet, you'll see areas of review. I'll let you read those and a word or two about the, the paragraph today. I want to I want to highlight a book that I'm reading. This is the the latest offering from Nancy Piercy. Uh, Nancy Piercy, of course, was uh, deeply uh, impacted by Francis Schaeffer back in the 70s. She was not raised as a believer, came to Christ later in life, and uh, has along the way done a lot of work on a Christian worldview. The difference between how a uh, how a Christian sees the world and reality and truth and existence and all kinds of things, as opposed to the way uh, a person who does not know Christ would see those things. This book is called Love Thy Body. Love Thy Body. Very interesting. I'm not through it yet. But she deals with a whole number of things related to how we view our human existence. In a sense, part of this book is what in theology you'd call anthropology, that a study of a man. What did God make when he made people? And who are we anyway? And even more essentially, this body that we inhabit, you know, what is it? Is it just a hunk of clay that we're glad to get rid of someday? Is that it, really? Uh, well, some would seem to suggest that. Is it just expendable, changeable, disposable? Does it really matter? What does God think about your body? Well, she's dealing with a lot of these imp- issues and their implications in, in a world that it would seem has a lot of body hatred going on. And so what is a Christian view? She addresses in this interesting book, Love Thy Body. I'm going to read several things from it, just just little clips uh, throughout the morning. But I, I, I mention this because I often like to bring to you books that I think some of you would appreciate. Um, it's a hefty read, but but some of you ought to go there. 2018, Love Thy Body, Nancy Piercy wrote some books with Chuck Colson and so on that are also substantive and very helpful. I want to come to God's word. We're going to pray together, but this section deals with issues of the body, the physical body, the future of your body. What's this business of resurrection? Why would God do that? I mean, if we're leave this earth and go straight to the presence of God in our spirit, uh, why mess with resurrection anyway? Just leave well enough. Why would God do that? We get to talk about that today. All right. Well, these things matter. And how you view the body God gave you matters. I want to pray for us. Let's come to God's word.
Our Father, it is, as always, with great joy that we open the scriptures together, here finding the foundation for our lives in the written, authoritative, inerrant word of God, the word of God that points us to the living word, Jesus, our Savior, died on the cross, rose from the dead, coming again. And our Father, we invite you again to use your word by the Spirit of God in us to shape our affections, to change us, not only to inform us so that we can better engage in theological discussion, but that we'll be different people who, who love Christ more profoundly and who live more Christianly in a world that seems to be drifting a different direction. Help us, Father, help us now to hear and to love the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you look at how I've laid out my thoughts today on the study sheet, you'll see that I've, I've started with kind of an introductory section uh, I've called Missing a Biblical View of the Body. I just want to give you a crash, crash course in biblical anthropology, like anthropology in five minutes. And you go, oh my goodness sakes, what's he thinking? Well, I know, people write whole books on this, and I just want to comment on a couple of things because it's a lead-in to the text that says a lot about resurrection. So I, I think you'll find that helpful. And then in, in two categories, I want to deal with uh, a big section of 1 Corinthians 15. And I, I think it'll work for us this morning. Also then, under implications and response, that section on your, your sermon notes, uh, just the way I have things laid out, I'm going to spend a little extra time there. So I may arrive there a little earlier. You might think, man, is he about done? I'm just saying, don't get your hopes up. It'll still be a minute, all right? I just try to give you a heads up as to how the sermon's going to flow so you don't start packing up too soon. So anyway, a, a, a biblical view of the body, what is this all about? And uh, I, again, I've, I've appreciated Nancy Piercy and some other writers as they've grappled with some of the things going on in our own culture that, that, that really uh, are a sub-biblical, sub-Christian way of, of looking at the body. And so uh, I'm, I'm just highlighting four elements that I think you should think about as you think about yourself and as you think about the world in which we live. I want to go back to Genesis 1. So much, I just think of our theology and how we view God and the world should go back to the beginning. Um, back in the beginning where we read God made the heaven and the earth. If you read through Genesis 1, you see over and over again, there's a rhythm where it says God made something and God saw that it was, what's the word? It was good. It was good. God saw what he made. It was good. God created a good world. It was not broken at that point. Nowadays, people look at the world and say it's pretty broken and you'd be right. It is pretty broken. But in God's original creation, God created and it was good. It wasn't broken yet. It wasn't broken yet. Uh, creation just hummed along. And then as God made the first people also referenced in chapter one, and then, and then in more detail in chapter two, of course, as God created the first people, this is, you know, God formed Adam and Eve, two genders, two sexes, right? He made a man, he made a woman, both, both bearing the image of God, image bearers. And he gave them a job to do. All of that is, is captured in Genesis chapter 1, and I give you a reminder of Genesis one thirty one. God saw, he gazed with pleasure on all that he made. And I, I highlight here not only all of creation, but humanity. Come on now. God made a man, he made a woman. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Very good. And I would just disabuse any of us from any sense that when God made humans, Adam and Eve, 
in that first creation that he kind of shrugged and said, well, you know what? It's the best I could do. No, he really didn't do that. Uh, nor when he made, did he, when he made Adam and Eve uh, as a man and a woman, nor did he kind of hide his eyes and say, I know this is awkward. Actually, he wasn't very awkward. He wasn't awkward at all. Uh, what, however they looked, you know, we often have our little Sunday school pictures of Adam and Eve. Adam, of course, is like, you know, seriously, you know, buffed out. He's got all the, I mean, been working out. Yeah, okay, that's God's ideal man. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he had love handles, right? No hair. You know, God's ideal man. <laughs> we don't know this, do we? Um, <clears throat> but we know God made Adam. And we know God made Eve. And he did so with great joy and great pleasure. Every detail of them, head to toe, every body part and every body process. And God was not awkward or embarrassed. <clears throat> and I think that our anthropology should begin with what God did. Okay, you with me on this? I take you then, of course, as follows. <clears throat> My next little line, Genesis chapter 2, where you read, uh, of course, the more color commentary on what happens in chapter 1 is the way that the text lays out. It says, God created, God formed man, God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. Remember this? Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living being. Right? Now, uh, along the way today, I'm going to be referring to soul and spirit. Those of you who have studied or are st- or students of theology will know there's a great deal of discussion about soul and spirit. Are those two different entities? Are they one? And I'm really not going to touch that today. It's not my point. Okay? So if you hear me refer to soul, spirit, or the material part and the immaterial part, um, don't try to pin me down on that issue today, though I, have, though I have an opinion on that. But God breathed into Adam the breath of life. And it is significant that God said, now stay with me on this. This is all, all important. Don't just think I'm telling you Old Testament stories. Okay? Um, that is not said of, of animals. There is a difference between humans and animals. Does that need to be said? Well, as a matter of fact, yes, it does need to be said. Humans are not just smarter animals. I, I hear it often said in different settings and uh, scientific presentations, placed on TV, you know, the human animal, and I get it, well, you know, flesh and blood and so on. But there is a difference. There is a difference between humans, image of God, yep, thanks, and animals, animals, okay? God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He became a living, became a living soul or spirit, living being. Thank you, Bob. <clears throat> I'm not sure it's going to help. Some days are just like that, but thank you. I might, I might go there. Now, our anthropology really begins there with the work of God. What did God make? God did this. Now, I'm going to move on. If you look at my, just follow my little bullet points. All of these are, all of these are part of the discussion. Oh, Lord, help. <clears throat> the incarnation of Christ. The word became flesh. That is a powerful statement, and it is, it is especially powerful because of the day in which it was written. And I just want to give you a word. Again, some of you know these things because you study a bit on some of this, and others of you, yeah, not so much. There's a word that shows up sometimes in, even in, on, on TV shows, documentaries that talk about ancient religion and so on. It's the word Gnosticism. You ever heard of that? Gnosticism, it has a G in front, but it's silent. Uh, but among the things that Gnosticism taught was that matter, matter was evil or base, that would include your body, and that, that the spirit world is pure. And therefore, the, the very idea that God would inhabit a human body was, was stunning. God in a, in a body, 
was was offensive to many people who were even even some in the church who were affected by Gnosticism because people even in the church are we not affected by things that ripple through our cultures absolutely we are now no less than than back then and so the Bible makes a big deal about this doesn't it and the word John would write became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory Philippians chapter 2, as Paul writes about the incarnation, the kenosis, to use that, that cool word, where, where Jesus left the glory of heaven and he was born in what we call Christmas, born in a human body. We celebrate that at Christmas time. Jesus bore our sin, Peter would write, in his own body on the tree. Right? There's an emphasis over and over again. In fact, 1 John 4, 1 John 4, Paul makes... Uh, this, a test of faith. He who doesn't believe that Jesus has come in the flesh, he says, is not from God. That's what he's after. You might say, that's kind of a weird verse. I believe he came in the flesh. Yes, I know. He was pulling out a big baseball bat to go after a prevailing theme in culture called Gnosticism. No, no. God became flesh. That was, a, to, to some at the time, kind of a scandal. And I, I would just mention here, Piercy, Nancy Piercy, in this cool book, Love Thy Body, she said, what really set Christianity apart in the ancient world was the incarnation. The incarnation was genuinely physical. Uh, she says, in the days of the early church, this was Christianity's greatest scandal. It's why the apostles stressed Christ's body over and over and over again. God, creator, took on a human body, flesh and blood, just like yours, minus a sin nature. Oh, how important. Now, follow along. Next item. Similarly, to many people, the resurrection of Jesus. That's the, takes us right to 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection of Jesus was unthinkable. That's why verse 12. Remember, we read verse 12, and I made a quick comment about that, knowing we'd come here later. Paul is addressing this in this big chapter on gospel and resurrection. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Guess what he's addressing? It's this. How can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? You say, well, who? I mean, come on. Why would anybody talk about that? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal was this. In a Gnostic frame of mind, death, death means a separation of your immaterial part, your soul, your spirit, from this evil base matter. So, so to flee, flee from this body is a wonderful thing. Why would anybody go back to it? Right? If, if the body's so bad, thank you Gnostics, it's just this thing. It just makes you sin all the time. It's base. Bodily desires, obviously bad. Why would you resurrect it? Why would, why would Jesus come out of the tomb in a, in a restored body, a resurrected body? Why would he do that? And so 1 Corinthians 15, 12 shows up. Now, Piercy would suggest, as I have here in front of you, not only unlikely, undesirable to the ancient Greeks, this is not spiritual progress, it's regress. Who would want to go back to the body? Huh. Interesting. And so I summarize that little section. Again, quick overview with anthropology before we come to the main part of our text. Your physical body matters to God. Okay? Do you hear me say this? God made you as a whole person. God made you. Your body matters to God. What you do with it, where you take it, what you expose it to, how you care for it. 
There is a spiritual element here. What you do with it. How you view it. Your body matters to God. The Bible makes very clear. God, God didn't just kind of toss you down here and say, ah, you'll be fine. No, he has a plan for your life. And that includes how he made you. And who he made you. And may I suggest what gender he made you. That wasn't a mistake. He didn't just flip a coin and go, oh, either one's fine for you. No, he has a plan for you. He knows you. Well, more on some of those things in a bit. Your body matters to God. Give you some texts there. I'll let you look those up and uh, read them. Take them seriously. Now, we come to our text. I'm going to read the whole thing, our whole text. And I'm going to divide it up in two different categories, 35 to 49, several comments, then 50 to 58, and then, of course, as I said earlier, some of my concluding remarks. But I want to read 1 Corinthians 15 then, starting at verse 35. And you will notice, I'm going to make a couple comments along the way. There are two paragraphs in this first section, really. The first kind of a package of illustrations. And then he explains them, okay? And then there's this great climactic paragraph where he just celebrates like he's dancing almost um, in joy and excitement. So I read then God's word, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul says, but, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? And by the way, I take that, that these are questions with a kind of a, a, an edge to them. And I take it that way because of his next comment. You foolish person. See, those could be good questions if asked from a good heart. They could also be cynical questions. Oh, sure, God's going to raise the dead. Like, what is that going to look like? Some kind of, in our world, what kind of zombie thing? I mean, come on. Paul says, you foolish person, and here he goes, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Three, he's going to use three analogies here, three word pictures. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. For, for not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind. The glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory. Okay, that's his illustration paragraph. And then he says, so it is. Or so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, and there is, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The second, or the last Adam, this would be Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. The last Adam, Christ, uh, sorry, the first, boy, I lost my spot. (laughs) Terrible. It is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Yes, we'll walk through that in a minute. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Okay, words on resurrection. Yes, yes, we'll, get, we'll, we'll go through them. Now, here's this, here's this great 
paragraph of triumph is the way I read this. I tell you, brothers, brothers and sisters, church people, followers of Jesus, listen to me. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This body is for here. It can't last to there. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or, or die but we shall all be changed. In other words, that's for sure. This body has to change in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, oh, death, uh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. This is a very practical, very practical instruction. So I want to go back then, as you see laid out there for you, and just kind of work through a couple of things. First of all, in verses 35 to 49, as I mentioned, there's two paragraphs. And Paul, Paul's pretty smart, pretty smart guy. He takes you on a visit, uh, first of all, to the farm, and then to the zoo, and then to an observatory. How about that? And he's able to converse in all three to make the same point. That's what he's after. He's after one thing, and he's going to tell you. So he starts with the farm, where he says, come on, when you, when you plant things, what do you plant? Is it, is it what you're going to harvest, or is it something different? And no, it's something different. I don't know. if you. Some of you guys are probably old farmers or maybe, you know, wannabe farmers. You've got a little plot in your backyard. You plant things. I, I took a brief foray into growing things uh, in grade school, probably some school assignment. And I remember, I remember, because the first thing I ever planted that had it actually grow, carrots didn't work out so well. So I tried peas. I don't even like peas, but I discovered I could grow them. So I was growing peas. And uh, I just, you know, you start looking at these things that you plant. They're little wizened, dried up things. I wasn't about to eat those. And I, granted, I wasn't going to eat the other ones either. But I'm just saying that the, <laughs> I will, if you serve me peas, I'll give thanks to God and get a <laughs> big glass of milk and they'll go down. But, but, but the little dried up sucker doesn't look nearly as appetizing as what you harvest, right? That's where Paul's wanting you to go. He's wanting you to draw a difference between what's planted, that is this, this body, here and what is ultimately raised in glory. He's setting us up in this paragraph for the next paragraph. Okay. That's what he's doing. I'm just tilting the hand a little bit. So you use a good gambling term. So you have some idea what we're doing. So the visit to the farm, what you sow, it doesn't look like you plant a little seed. It turns into an apple tree. You don't look at that little apple seed and go, Oh, I think it's going to be an apple tree. Unless you know, it's got all the DNA in there to grow bark and leaves and more fruit. Amazing. Did you know, this is an aside, really. Did you know that in the, you know, the ancient world, often they would plant seeds, at, like with a, a person who died, like the pharaohs? And did you know that some of those seeds that have been buried for thousands of years will still germinate? Can you explain that to me? Yeah, no, I didn't think, don't even try, because the scientists can't either. They already said they can't explain it, so don't even, I know you... 
add water plant. It's supposed to work. But apparently it does. They'll still germinate. The, the point of the text, though, is what you plant. It, it, oh, there's some similarities, but it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same as what's going to be harvested someday. So Paul's taking a trip to, to the farm. Maybe wheat or some other grain, he says. God gives it a body as he chooses to each kind of seed, its own body. Now, then he moves on. Now he's going to go to the zoo, right? All flesh is not the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Well, we kind of know that, don't we? He's not saying something radical and new here. You kind of knew that. You learned that in grade school, that, you know, animals are different. There's different kind of flesh. And uh, if you, you know, we, we say in the kitchen, they all taste like chicken. Well, most of the things, they don't, of course. There's differences. That's, that's Paul's point. If, the minute you say, yeah, I know there's differences, you just agreed with him. That's his point. Okay? He's setting us up to talk about a resurrection body, the body that is to come. So the farm, then he takes you to the zoo, and he takes you to astronomy, to an observatory. And he says, you know, look at the sky. The stars differ from stars in glory, don't they? And there are certain stars that are really bright or look red. If you stare at them long enough, these guys had an advantage over us. Not only because they don't live, didn't live in a place where there's all the, the wash out of the sky at night, but they took time to look at the night sky in ways that we typically don't. So some of these analogies work with an ancient crowd in a way that most of us, unless you're camping in eastern Oregon or something, you don't even notice. But back in the day you would. Man, that star, that looks kind of red. Look at that. Look at that. And then the different glory of the sun and the glory of the moon, well, the moon, which is a reflective glory. The moon has no glory of its own, does it? Uh, it's just reflecting glory from another. That's all he's after here. And, and then you get to verse 42. This is where he's really taken it home, where he's going, here's my point. Here's my point. Okay? So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Now we're talking serious stuff here now. He's not just talking about farms and animals. He's talking about people who die. And right away, this gets very, very personal, doesn't it? Because all of us are old enough to have, to have said goodbye to somebody we love. And so suddenly it gets, it, it, my goodness, it comes very close to home. I remember my first encounters with death as a kid. You know, you can live for a few years and not even notice. Many of us could anyway, unless somebody close to you dies. I remember uh, I was probably third grade, I think, maybe second grade, and our neighbor guy died, Bob. I mean, I'd never had anybody die, and it was New Year's Eve. I remember it very distinctly because Bob was a partier, neighbor guy, and he'd been loud the night before, and he had an old ship's bell in the backyard. So guess what he's doing at midnight? Yeah, waking the world. Yeah, he's out there, and, there he, and he died that night. I remember the, you know, his wife calling my mom and the neighbors, you know, in the morning, he, he died, he died last night. And his kids were going, I mean, for me, I'm going, oh, when did this interrupt my world? I mean, I've heard about this, but Bob, Bob died. The neighbor guy died. And then a couple of years later, grandpa died. And I remember, you know, death, not only next door, but in my house, um, as my mom sat at the table. I remember that, walking in the room, and I didn't know what happened, and my mom's sitting there crying. She just got the phone call that her dad died. So, so death comes close, and you, you experience these things. So when we read here, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, you know, we don't, we don't read this paragraph and go, huh, that's nice to be informed. Informed? Now, this is real life here. This is about life and death and, and our faith. So, so what's Paul's point here? Where's, where's he going here anyway? He says, he says this, based on that 
that paragraph before. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Oh, get the rhythm here. What is sown, that is what is buried. What, that, this body that dies here, this body's made for here. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It is very humble. Death humbles us all, doesn't it? It is, it is, it is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. This body's for here. As it gets older, it does get weaker, doesn't it? I hate to say amen to that, but it's true. It is raised in power. It's sown in natural body. It's raised to spiritual body. If there is a natural body, he says, and there is, there is also a spiritual body. I'm going to stop for just a second. Go back to that other page for a minute. There's a little uh, sentence I glossed over, and I, I, I don't want to. It applies here as well. Our physical bodies are for here. I just want to state the obvious. The physical body you inhabit now is for here. It was made for this earth. It was not made for heaven. Okay? Perfectly designed for here. This life. This earth. Now, this text, as I just read those verses, describes weakness and perishable and so on. Uh, that is not to denigrate the human body. I, I mentioned here there is glory in the physical body. There is. After all, it's made by God, made in the image of God. There's image of God born in our human body. There's glory in the physical body. You've heard me say, said recently, I forget when it was, you know, if you, if, you, if you lack that awareness of the amazing body in which you inhabit, you live in, you know, you go to the doctor's office, you just stare at that thing on the wall with the ear or the eye. I mean, go early next time. See if they'll put you in a room. They probably, you got an hour. So you just could show up and just so you could look at those and be amazed and let it be a moment of private worship. God, look at that. You made that. You'll echo. If you think about it, think theologically, you'll echo Psalm 139. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And my soul knows it very, very well. I think we should teach our kids this. Amazing what God has done. I think as you teach your kids how to take care of themselves and brush their teeth and, you know, brush their hair and all those things, wash behind your ears, all these, I think all of it should be in a Christian worldview. What a wonderful thing God made. Here's how we care for what God made. I urge you, if you're raising kids, do it in a, in a theologically accurate and wise way. Look what God has done. Now, come back with me to that text. Paul then shifts to his familiar rhythm of first man Adam second man Jesus this theological stream to repeat the same lesson as I have here in front of you this life is not the end he's contrasting Adam the work of Adam the result of what Adam did and the work of Jesus and what Jesus did the first man Adam became a living being that's Genesis 2 the last man Adam became a life-giving spirit look at the difference so Adam yes a physical body of course Christ a life-giving spirit not the spiritual that's first but the natural that's right physical body and then the spiritual first man was from the earth man of dust uh-huh we know that the second man is from heaven as was the man of dust he was real there he was physical body uh, so also are those uh, uh, as wow, let me read it again as was the man of dust so also are those who are of the dust that's humans we're just made out of dust and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. That means you've trusted Christ. We're going to bear his image in a whole new way. And that's the point of verse 49. 49 explains 48. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Wow. Now, I want to say this. You look at your study sheet. I want to say just a word about Christ. 
Christ's death and resurrection. Okay. Have you ever studied specifically the resurrection of Christ with a view to what, what his body was like? There are some areas the Bible doesn't say as clearly as we would like, but I believe that the resurrection of Christ gives us some kind of a hint as to what a resurrection body or a resurrected body will be like. What do you remember about Christ after he was raised from the dead? Well, he could go places. That's kind of cool. Like through walls, I guess, right? He could disappear. It says he was hidden from their sight. That's kind of cool. At the same time, he could, he could eat, couldn't he? It said Christ ate a piece of fish in front of them to where they all went, yep, down the hatch. And Jesus said to Thomas, who doubted the whole resurrection, thought he was seeing a ghost. You remember this? Jesus said to him, touch me and see. You know, I'm not a ghost. Uh, I have, uh, ghosts don't have flesh and blood. You could, it was an invitation to touch a corporeal body, touchable, different, similar, but different, recognizable, sure, different. Now, Jesus bore still the scars of the cross. Well, we bear the scars of this life. You know, I, I, I don't know. I tend to doubt it. Christ, I think, would bear his scars, not because they're just scars, but because they're scars of glory. So that's my theological opinion on that. Um, and it's worth about that much. But I think it's interesting to look at the resurrection of Jesus and what that body is like. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to read 50 to 58, that climactic section again. And then I want to step into some very practical issues like, well, then why raise the body? Why re- if we're doing just fine in heaven, what's that about? I'm going to go there next. But I want to, I want to read this, this big emphasis, this shout of triumph, I'm calling it, in 50 to 58 again. Okay, hear, hear, the, hear Paul beat the drum and say, man, this is good. So he says, I tell you this, I tell you this, brothers, brothers and sisters, all of you who know Jesus, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These bodies are for here, in other words. Nor does the perishable, that's this body, inherit the imperishable. No, in other words, behold, I tell you mystery. I'm going to tell you this. He said, I'm not going to explain it all. There's still mystery here. There is. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed. Indeed, we shall, all of us. How's this going to work? When will this be? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed those who are alive, in other words, I think we'll, we'll see in 1 Thessalonians 4. This perishable body must, it must, it must, it must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. In other words, to be ready for God's new creation, to be ready for heaven, where this body's got to change. When this perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, those phrases parallel, say the same thing, then shall come, up, come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, he says, therefore, therefore, don't you hide in your room in shame. Don't you hide in fear. Don't you be afraid to leave your house. Something terrible might happen. You might get hit by a bus. Don't be afraid to get up in the morning. You may be diagnosed with a terrible disease, and you're right. You might. But he says, therefore, therefore, because this world is not all there is, this body here is going to change either through death or the return of Jesus. It's going to change. Therefore, he says, 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. God has given you something to do. Get busy doing it. Don't worry about the bus or the doctor, right? Get busy doing what God has wired you and called you to do. Abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor, your labor is not in vain. Now, very quickly, a couple of very key things. So why resurrect a body? Let me tell you a couple of things. The Bible is very clear. I, I, I just think it could hardly be more clear. That when your life here is done, when a person today dies who knows Jesus, that they go from here to the presence of God. And I'm just going to remind you of a couple things. Several. When Jesus was dying on the cross and there was a thief on the cross next to him, Jesus said to that man as he expressed faith, today you will be with me in paradise. So when Jesus' body died on the cross, he didn't. His spirit did not stay in the grave. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I plan to go there to the presence, the immediate presence of God. And you're coming too, friend. And they did. So Jesus' body was still in the grave, hadn't been resurrected yet. And the, the immaterial part of Christ was in the presence of his father. Okay. Today you'll be with me in paradise can mean nothing else. Stephen, the martyr, as he prepared to die. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The apostle Paul, Philippians chapter one, all these instructive to us. Philippians one says, I would rather depart and what is it? Be with Christ because that is very much better. I'd rather, I'd rather depart and be with Christ. I'd rather that. But staying here, of course, he said, is more necessary for your sake. These are all, boy, there's, there's a whole list of others that just take us right there. So the question, why resurrection? What's the deal with resurrection? Okay, Jesus, Jesus was raised from the dead three days later. And I, I, I just, again, I'm looking down my little, my little study sheet. And I'm, I'm going to go right to um, that, that third and fourth point. Your, your earthly body stays here. But the Bible, the witness of the Bible is that at the resurrection, that is when Christ returns... That this physical body will be resurrected because, right, that glorious new body is necessary to live forever in and on God's recreated earth. You read, uh, I give you some text here. Second, Second Peter 3 talks about a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And, of course, Revelation 21 and 22 talk about the new creation. Not just some uh, ethereal, spirit-oriented presence. Do I believe that our loved ones are, are safe and enjoying the presence of God? Absolutely, I do. But I believe that one day God's going to raise their body and be reunited with their spirit, and it'll be changed. That's when that glorious new body comes in. Okay? So people ask me sometimes, when do we get the new body? Is it like right away, or is it then? I think it's then. Theologians call what's going on now the intermediate state. There's whole theology books written on this. Final state, intermediate state. Right now, before the return of Christ. There are other texts, and I just want to plant them in your mind as places you could go to study. First Thessalonians 4, I referenced, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. I think this text and that uh, fit hand in glove. I would reference as well Philippians 3 uh, and 1 John 3. Philippians 3, where Paul says, 
Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of this, I love it, this humble state. Some of us would say amen to that. He will transform the body of this humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to conform all things to himself. We look for a savior who will transform this body to be like his first John three beloved. Now we are children of God has not appeared as yet what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, come on, we're going to be like him because we'll see, we'll see him as he is. Oh, amazing. So I think God has a reason to resurrect the body. And I just told you when I think that's going to happen. I think it happens when Christ returns. Okay. All kinds of other things we could go to, but I would be so remiss if I did not circle this right. Listen, right back to Jesus. All of this points us to Christ. See, all of it points us to Christ. Christ who left the glory of heaven, took on a a real human body, lived a perfect life quite unlike yours. Right? Nailed to a cross. The Bible says, not through an accident of history, but through the purpose and plan of God to bear your sin in his body on the cross. Christ, who was buried, raised again the third day to new life as a, as a model of what will happen to you too. See? Yes, to make, make evidence that salvation was complete and as a model. Oh, I believe that. Christ coming again. The call of the scripture is for you to trust Christ as your savior. Yes, to acknowledge your sin before him. And if you need help with that, ask any member of your family. They will help you you, you, to know that you are a sinner in need of a savior, right? Acknowledge that profoundly and deeply before God, your need of a savior. Trusting in your heart of hearts, the best you've got, that Christ died on the cross for your sin. The Bible says two things happen at that very moment. That there's this transaction that takes place. Your sin credited to Christ at the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. In the second half of that, that we would be covered by his righteousness. That we would be the righteousness of God in him. I get credit for his righteousness. He pays for my sin. That is almost too good to be true, but it's the gospel. And I hope you believe it. Let me tell you something. If, you're, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, you are not ready to depart this earth. You have business to do with God, specifically trusting Christ as your Savior from sin. Don't mess around with that. Okay? Don't mess around with that. Don't, don't put it off. Don't ignore this. You trust him as your Savior from sin today. I'd like to pray for us. Would you stand with me, please? Let's talk to God. Our Father, this, this is holy material, holy scripture, and it points us to you, the author of life, creator of all that is, and the one day, the one who will one day wrap it all up in a way in a time that is known only to you. And Father, I pray for all those in the sound of my voice here today and those who will listen to these comments in the weeks and months and years ahead that they would turn their heart to you in genuine faith, acknowledging their need of a savior, trusting Christ, Christ alone as their savior from sin.
Father, that is your work, and we ask you to do it. Reaching into our hearts, pulling us to you. Father, Father, we are desperate for your work. Every one of us, wherever wherever we stand with you, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot fix ourselves. We cannot make ourselves show up in heaven someday. All of it is you. And so, Father, I pray that even today that you would, you would confirm our faith in our own hearts, turn our feet to you, give us great joys. We trust you. Father, we head out into another week full of things known only to you. We walk in faith and we go in joy. Thank you for being our God and our Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.